So tonight, Matthew 6, if you would go there. Matthew 6 is the middle of Jesus's longest recorded teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. Some of you have heard this before or maybe been through a study in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew, early on in his sharing of the good news, gives us a big bulk of what Jesus taught in one setting here. And Matthew 6, uh, we're going to get Jesus's like famous teaching on prayer. We're going to look at it over this week and next week, but just because some of us are newer to the Bible, I don't want to assume anything. Uh, when Jesus is teaching, he gives the same bit of advice or the same model for everything. So for example, if we were to read, we're, we're not going to read the first four verses of chapter six, but we, we want to know how to give. Jesus gives us exactly how to do it. Don't be a show off. Your father knows what you need given secret. Uh, and then when you, you want to know how to fast. So I'm like, fast? Like, who does that? You know, well, if you want to learn the art and the discipline of fast, we're going to look at the, uh, later on in, in Matthew 6. We won't do it, but Jesus is going to tell us exactly how to fast. Don't be a show off. Your father knows what you've done in secret and he'll reward you. What Jesus is contrasting in the Sermon on the Mount is how to live the godly life. Now, a, a little bit of background and then we'll read. When Jews in Jesus' day were looking for the example of what it means to really follow God, they looked to a group called the Pharisees. Now, if you hear the word Pharisee and you've gone to church, you're thinking bad guy, right? Those are the hypocrites, right? Actually, not true. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees were the most devoted. You would want to live like a Pharisee. You would want to love God like a Pharisee. Now, now, because of Jesus' teaching, we see the hypocrisy. But on the outside, the Pharisees took the law of God the most seriously. Now, now here's why. The Pharisees believed that uh, Israel, even though it still was in Jerusalem, was still in exile. They were still slaves. And the reason the Roman government was overseeing the Jews, and the reason the temple wasn't all it could be, and the reason Israel wasn't blessed, and there was no Israeli king, and God's presence wasn't there in full, was because the people of God, the, the Jews, had forgotten the scriptures. They had ignored God by ignoring his Torah, his teaching, the five books of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And because Israel did not take their Bible, so to speak, seriously, because they didn't do the book, they were not going to be blessed by God. So here was a solution for the Pharisees. Memorize, saturate your mind in the Bible so the Pharisees knew the Torah by heart. Do everything God commanded to do. 613 commands in the first five books of the Bible, in the book of Moses, we're going to do every one of them. As a matter of fact, we are going to teach ourselves how to do them right. So there was not only the written commands, but there was more than 1,500 oral interpretation commands. So the Bible says do not steal, but there's some oral traditions on how to properly not steal. There was don't do any work on the Sabbath. There were oral traditions about how many steps you can take on the Sabbath day before it becomes work. The Pharisees are not the bad guys. Pharisees are the good guys because they want to keep the Bible and they believe on the day that Israel takes the Bible seriously and does what God says, he will come again and restore his people to the life of blessing. All of that background goes into how should we pray? The Pharisees were great prayers. They were the model people if you want to learn how to pray well, except 
Jesus exposes a couple of flaws. So Matthew 6, we'll start in verse 5. It says, and when you pray, because all Jews did, um, do not be like the hypocrites. Unfortunately, this is where we get our idea that Pharisees are hypocrites, because Jesus saw the hypocrisy in the way that they lived. He says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites or like the Pharisees, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, you have received, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. So the Pharisees had gotten off track, evidently, and Jesus is just going to say, here's where, where people have been hypocritical, but I'm going to teach you, my followers, and us included, the right way. If you want to know how to pray, listen to the words of Jesus. A couple of things that Jesus says, what prayer is not. Two things Jesus says, Prayer, before he says what prayer is, he has to describe what prayer is not. Number one, write it down. Prayer is not a show. It's not for others to see. So, so don't pray standing in the synagogues, which by the way, every Jew would pray standing. <laughs> in honor of God, you'd pray standing. So he says, don't pray standing. That doesn't make any sense. And don't pray on the streets to be honored by others. People in the Jewish community prayed at all times. They had three daily prayers, the, the, the 18 blessings or 18 benedictions. They would pray three times a day. They would pray twice the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They would pray at every meal. To be Jewish is to live in the pattern of prayer. And ironically, everything that they did, Jesus is saying, don't do that. Well, actually, he's not saying don't pray publicly. He's not saying your posture is all that important. What he's saying is don't pray to be seen by others. This is where the Pharisees, they had a good intention. They just had a bad result. They intended to model to the people, this is how you pray. But unfortunately, something slips, and sometimes we get into this too. We come to church uh, or we come to the gathering uh, on a weekend because we want to hear from God. But if we're not careful, we'll just kind of come because my friends are coming. Or come because there's a girl, there's a guy. Ooh, a little shaky, shaky. You know, like, you know, you never know what could happen. Or, or we come out of tradition. You, this is what you do, right? It, a good thing could turn to a bad thing. Would you agree? It, it, and it's skewed in the heart. And what Jesus exposes is just the heart went wrong. Instead of modeling prayer, they became show-offs. And what Jesus is saying is true prayer, true invitation to relationship with God is not a show. There's a better way. Now, what you don't see here in English is there in the original language, which is Greek. Look back at verse 5. When you pray, singular, like you as an individual. So Jesus isn't talking just to the crowd. He's talking to you. Every single one of us. When you, as an individual, pray, don't be like the hypocrites is very, very personal. Uh, everything begins with you, you, you as an individual. We're going to see later that Jesus is going to talk to the whole group. So don't pray standing in the synagogues and all of that. Um, so how should we pray? What does Jesus say? Verse um, 6, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your who? Father. The language of Jesus 
is the language when he describes God. He describes him as father. Not just the father. Every Jew would call God their father. He's the father to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's, he's the God of our forefathers. But he doesn't just say a father. He says your father. We'll get back to that in a minute. How do you encounter God? If it's not to be a show, what is it like? Now, Jesus uses a visual that we miss because how many of you in your house, all the bedrooms have doors on it? How many of you in your house? It's not a trick question. They have to do it. Okay. How many your house in your house, like the bathroom has a door? Is it good? <laughs> Hello. Yeah. All right. Uh, how many on your front door of your house, there's a lock so that I can't just walk in? Okay. Now here's a trick question. How many of you actually use that front lock? Okay, good. The rest of you, shame on you! People leave their cars with their doors open. Do they not know that there are thieves? I'm from Brooklyn. I know these things, okay? I I don't understand. You just left the thing open! Anyway, I digress. In a Palestinian home in the Middle East, there's only one room that had a door. They lived in an open society. As a matter of fact, Middle East is the same way. When you grew up, you lived with your extended family by you. And guess what? When you got married, extended family moved in and, and house was family. Most homes were just one big room. And then on the side of the one big room, there was a secret place. It's actually the storage closet. You all slept in the same room with everyone else. And you ate in the same room. But there would be in your house a side room. It would have the door that you could lock. And it literally was your storage closet. And if you were saving seed to, to cultivate, right, your land, you protected your seed. It's your life in the storage room. If you had any valuables, you put it in the storage room. If you had little animals that were too young and you were afraid they're going to get sick or hurt, you keep them inside your house in the storage room until they're old enough or well enough to go out. There's only one secret side room. And here's the contrast. You've got to see this. In Jesus' day, if you think you're going to encounter God, you're going to go to synagogue, God's space. You're going to go to temple, God's like super duper space. And if you really want to meet with God, once a year, the high priest goes into the most holy place, ornate, full of gold, and encounters God. And look at the contrast. Jesus says, if you want to meet the Father, go to your storage closet which is dirty, which in terms of uh, clean and unclean, in terms of fit for God's use and unfit, that storage closet is unclean. It's not a place where God's presence would be. But Jesus says, oh, yes, it is. You see, God's not interested in the room that you pray in, public square, synagogue. He's actually interested in your pursuit of him. No one's going to find you in the closet. He's just saying, go to the place where you can get away. And by the way, when you go to get away, close the door, pray to your father who's unseen. Your father who sees what you've done in secret will reward you. See, God wants to bless you with his presence, which is actually the goal of prayer is not stuff. The goal of prayer is to know God better. When I know God better, everything will change. So so Jesus says, it's not to be a show. It's to be Unseen, just close the door and he will provide. He'll provide blessing. Second thing, prayer is not to inform God. We just read it. Verse eight, 
I'm sorry, verse uh, 7. When you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they're going to be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Ever just like sit in a group and you're all praying, and, and some of it is like just trying to tell God, hey, what happened yesterday? Hey, God, and remember like that we were, this was happening and that was happening. Like we're, we're kind of recounting the whole scenario as if He doesn't know exactly, or if, like He forgot, right? Well, sometimes he's like, God, hey, this is what's going on. And like, as if he doesn't know, God already knows what you need. So don't keep babbling. Don't be a many worded prayer person. Do you know that how Jesus teaches us to pray can happen fast? Doesn't have to take hours. As a matter of fact, more is not necessarily better, right? What Jesus is saying is the pagans do that. Now, now the pagans. The pagans in their day were just simply people who didn't follow the creator God named Yahweh, the, the, the God of the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, the God of the people of Israel. The pagans believed in many gods. They're kind of like eclectic Portland. Lots of powers, lots of forces. Tap in and go see Star Wars in 89 days or whatever. Like, you know, whatever God you got is fine. And... And so that, that culture of Jesus' day is very much like ours. Lots of powers, lots of stuff, and just tap in. Now, here's the, the trick, though. Pagans, non-Jews, believe that the gods were angry. And the gods needed to be convinced to do good. So a, a good prayer was a long prayer. If you were not Jewish, you prayed to the gods, the many gods, and you were like in law court, you're trying to plead your case. God! And I have done this and so, and my family is this, and I require this, and I'm pleading with you. You had to beg God to gain favor with God. And Jesus is saying, the pagans think that the more words is going to convince God. Oh, by the way, you and I, we just need to know God knows what we need. And he actually cares. When I approach God, I'm not to impress people. And I'm not to spend most of my time trying to tell God What's going on? He already knows what I need. So it's not about the number of words or the amount of times a day. God is absolutely already involved. So here's a trick question then. If God knows what I need, why pray? Ever think that? Like, God, if you already know, like, why are you actually asking me to pray? Well, a, a couple thoughts on that. One, the fact that he knows everything shouldn't be held against him, right? God, by his very nature, knows everything. Oh, by the way, that makes him powerful enough to do something. So just because God asks us to pray and he knows all things isn't a contradiction. He's actually inviting us in. Secondly, the fact that God knows what we need actually should be the encouragement to pray. I don't have to plead my case as if, like, I'm worthy enough to be heard. He's invited me. If I go to the closet alone with God... He wants to bless. He wants to reward. His posture towards us is positive. Like, I love you. I know what you need, but I'm waiting for you to ask. Is that how we see prayer? As a religious exercise where we try to convince God, I know I sin and I know I'm evil and I'm corrupt, but please have a little pity on me. When God is like, man, I love you. And I'm longing to interact with you. I'm just waiting for you to come. So God knows what we need. So, because that's true, we can, we can wrestle with God. We can come raw. We can come honest. We don't have to be super sweet about it. We can get to the point. Like my kids in the morning when they want breakfast, they're, uh, they're not, Father, great one, 
oh, keeper of the house. No, they're like, dad, I'm hungry. And I see that they're hungry. I can see it in my daughter as she's walking down the steps. Like, she needs calories right now. Like, she's just, she's just, would you want some breakfast? Like, oh, yeah. What would you like? And I, because I, I'm not God, I don't know all that she wants. But as a dad, I know her heart before she speaks. Does that make sense? Like a father knows how their children operate before they come. But as parents, don't you enjoy it when your kids come to you and just say, like, I, I, I need some breakfast. I can't make it to the top shelf. Dad, can you grab that for me? Now, that's just a microcosm. God's way bigger. But in a real way, he's inviting us to ask. So I get it as a parent. I, I love this quote by this author, Dale Bruner, writing on this text. He says, prayer is not an intelligence briefing for God, is an intelligent conversation with God. Notice that difference. It's not an intelligence briefing. God, here's 20 minutes of what's going on in my world. So he's like, yawn. I, I know. I actually know it better than you. But rather, it's an intelligent conversation. God, because you know all things, I'll tell you, this is the part that really is disturbing me. And, and God, this is the part where I don't even know if my heart is right, but this is what I want to see happen. And I'm a little mad about this. Not that we're rude, but we're actually coming to have an intelligent conversation with a God who knows how we work. So when you pray, you don't have to impress anybody. And frankly, you don't have to tell God anything about your circumstance. He already knows. But he does invite you to have a conversation about it. So that is what prayer is not. Now let's look and spend the rest of our time on what prayer is. All right, verse 9, the famous verses. This then, says Jesus, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then Jesus continues. Some of us end the prayer there, but he has more to say. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So what is prayer at its heart? Write it down. Prayer is an invitation into our Father's world. And I chose those words carefully. It's an invitation into our Father's world. There are things that you and I are doing. We have our own little world. But then there's the bigger thing that God's doing. So prayer is an invitation to relationship. Wouldn't it be great when we came to God if we actually got a glimpse of what God is doing? And the heart of prayer, again, is not just to get my needs met, although that's totally part of it, totally legit. But actually, in the bigger scheme, is wouldn't it be great if we were just closer to what God is doing? And this year, we are praying for every one of you here, myself included, that we will be more in tune with what God's doing. There'll be a little less of, God, I'm inviting you to my little party. Come hang with me. But rather, my life would be enamored with finding out what God is up to and me stepping into God's world. And say, okay, God, this is what you're up to in Hillsboro or in Beaverton or Aloha or Banks, wherever you are. Uh, Intel, Nike, any coffee shop, which half of you work in, because I see you often. Like whatever the case may be. Accountant, engineer, doesn't matter the trade. God, this is what you're doing in our office. This is what you're doing in my school. And I get in step with him. That is the heart of it. All right, so uh, how do we break this down? 
Let's just, we're going to look at the first half tonight. And, and then next Sunday, we're going to finish it up because this is just too much to, uh, to jump through quickly. This is then how you should pray. Verse 9, our Father. This is a small but big change. First half of this was you. When you go to pray, when you, you, you. Now Jesus says, you want to know how to pray? It's not about you praying. Our Father. The rest is in plural. What does that mean? It means that prayer is not just something you do as an individual. Yes, it's important. You ought to spend time in that secret room with God. Okay, yes. But Jesus' model for prayer is community-driven. Our Father. What does that say? It says the first thing that happens when I step into God time is to realize it's not just about me. And it's not just about me and God, but I've been invited into something bigger. God is concerned for every human in this room right now. And when I pray, I'm stepping into what God is up to, not just in my world, but in your world. So part of my prayer will end up being driven towards you. Our Father in heaven, our Father. The Greek word there is pater, but pater in Greek is the closest word to the word that Jesus actually said. Jesus probably didn't speak Greek. He probably spoke Aramaic. Which like in America, we have English is the predominant language, but people speak Spanish and other languages. In their world, Jews mostly didn't speak Hebrew in the time of Jesus. They mostly spoke the common language, which was Aramaic, but things were often written in Greek. So Jesus would have said, our Abba. He would have most likely said, which is the Aramaic word for Father. It also is that 70s Swedish band, but that's another story for another day for those of you old school fans. Abba is a simple family word. A son or a daughter calls their dad Abba. Not just, it's not just a baby word. Do you know I still call my dad Pops? I called him Pops when I was a little kid. And I'm 43, I still call him Pops. Because to me, even though I've gotten older, I still respect my dad as my dad. He's my Pops. And in the same way, this sounds scandalous. And this, this should have gotten Jesus crucified. No one in Israel is saying to the creator, God, pops, dad, nobody. But Jesus says, if you want to get in tune with what God's doing on God's world, you can come to him like pops. Oh, but by the way, just a little disclaimer for those of you a little too cozy with your roommates, too cozy with friends. Our father in heaven. And that's a disclaimer, right? Yes, he's father, he's daddy. But he's also like creator and sustainer, and holy. So that balance, I come to God as a child, loved, but I also recognize he's ours, not just mine, and he's holy. He's not just in Hillsborough on the Sunset Corridor. He's in heaven. So there's that, that respect, but that intimate respect. Does that make sense? So if I were to go to a world leader that I happen to know, let's just say it's the president, if I know him, I could, I could talk to him as friend, but at the same time, I recognize he holds the buttons on a lot of nukes. I should like chill, right? You know, I, I should be respectful. Anyway, I hope that's helpful. So our Father in heaven. And then Jesus is going to frame out six requests. Okay, six things that should make up all of our prayer life. Something, well, should I pray this like exactly as is? Is quoting this should be my rhythm of prayer? I don't think so. I think what Jesus is saying is there is a framework that's healthy 
just like there are healthy tips to healthy conversations. In the same way, if we go this way, we know we're going to go in the path of the Father's world. So we start with our God, plural, accessible, but also holy and above. Okay, I've got that. And then there's these words that tie together. First three requests all have the word your. Second three requests all have the word our. And I'm going to break that out more next week. Let's just look at it. Our Father, middle of verse 9, hallowed be, and there's that word, your name. Hallowed be your name. Look at the second one. Your kingdom come, verse 10. Third one in the end of verse 10. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in a sense, Jesus says, start with intimate but holy, and then come in in two ways. There are three things about your God, and then there are three things that say our. Let's just finish it out. Verse 11, give us today our daily bread. There are things that our community needs. Forgive us our debts, as we've also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So I just want us to see for now, and we'll get into it, more next week, that there is a distinction between what we ask for. So the first thing we ask for, the first three things that we should ask for have to do with your. When we come to pray, how do we come? Now think of your own rhythm. For me, it's usually fast and furious. Like, I got a little bit of time. I got a lot of need, right? God, here's what I need, here's what I need, here's what I need. And and, and Jesus is reminding us, you want to have a healthy relationship? Start with God. And when I figure out where God is, my needs will start to make sense. So let's look at the three things that he says to pray about. Your name be hallowed. Now, that's not a word that any of us use. Uh, but we, we begin with the desire to see God for who he is. Your name be top. We don't use the word hallowed. But top place in the world, I think, is a good translation. So what am I praying? God in heaven, I'm praying that your name would be top in the world, that your name would be seen as the most important. God, I'm praying that more and more people will see you for who you are. God, when I think about who you are and all you've done, your name ought to be greater in the city I live in, greater in the family that I live in, greater in my own world. God, what I really need is you to be seen for who you are. When we come with that kind of attitude, it's going to open up my eyes to see the things I ought to be praying for. Second thing, your kingdom come. And you could say your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because in the original language, both those statements refer to the same thing. So your kingdom come. Now, most of us don't have kingdoms. How many of you have a kingdom? No, no. We have like maybe a car or a house. What's a kingdom? A kingdom is simply God's rule. God's kingdom is his rule. So let's just think about this. God, your name be tops in all the world and in people's lives, minds, hearts, in their thoughts. I'm praying that you would be seen as big. And then I'm praying that your, your kingdom, your rule would come on earth as it is in heaven, that the things that are important to you will happen, that the things that you want to see happen in the world will happen. I'm praying that your agenda gets accomplished. God, you're the king, I'm not. But here I am, and I'm one of your kids. 
And just like in royalty, like in the real world, if there's a king and there's princes and princesses, in a family that's ruling a country, hopefully the kids are saying, Father, you're the king, the, the sovereign, the top, top guy. We want your agenda to be happening. And as God's children, that's what we should be praying. Again, remember, prayer is an invitation into God's world. So what does this say? And this is going to sound kind of crazy, but go with me on this. God's will is most often not done. Now, I have a very high view of God, so don't mishear me. God is above all and greater than all. But God's will is not done on earth as it is in his design in heaven. And if you look at the history of Scripture, most of it is, is of men and women who have disobeyed God. And God calls them back and loves them, forgives them, and takes them, and then they rebel again. And so think of all that's happening in the world right now. The, display, the most displaced people group in the world are Syrians. Millions are, are, are all over the world. Do you think it's God's will that there should be so much turmoil in their land? Absolutely not. That's evil. That's satanic. That's not God's agenda. So what are we doing? We're as children, we're as ambassadors, we're as representatives. We're saying, God, your agenda to bring peace in troubled places, may that happen on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, Is everyone following Jesus that you know? No, either that or you are lonely. Like, um, no, many aren't. I'm praying, God, your name be great because your name is great and you're worthy to be followed. Jesus, you're the greatest one. Many are not following you. I'm praying your kingdom, your rule comes into my family's life. Your rule comes into my neighbor's life. Your rule comes into my city's life. You are great, God. And I want to see people follow you. We're actually praying for the gospel. Praying, God, get this message of news out to people. The third thing is your will be done. That, that means God's will is not always done. Now, we're gonna, this is so critical that we're going to take a whole week, two weeks from now, and do where, where does my prayer fit with God's will? And if God is the king of the universe, why doesn't he just do everything? And how can people actually resist, resist God's movement? And where does God's agenda and, and my agenda begin? How do I figure out praying in light of God's will? Uh, too much to handle tonight. Two weeks from now, one of our elders, Steve Marshman, um, will be looking at that. But for tonight, here's what we do know. In the context of the Sermon on the Mount, when we pray, your will be done, you know what we're praying? That the very things Jesus taught in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 will actually come to pass. And in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus teaches us the Sermon on the Mount is how we're to live in light of God's coming kingdom. Because Jesus has come to bring in God's kingdom and in his death and resurrection, he initiates God's agenda. Now we can live as the people of God. Now we can live as a forgiving people. Now we can actually do Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Some people see this as future. One day God's people will somehow live this out. No, no, no. Jesus is predicting before he goes to the cross, when you follow me, you can live this way. You won't always. You will flounder. You will fail at points, but you can live this way. So when we're praying, your kingdom come, your will be done. Think of what Jesus has to say about relationships. Think of what Jesus has to say about forgiveness. All of these things, we're asking God, will you create our Father, not just me, 
God, will the people who follow you in this church, will they be people who love your will, who do your will, who want to live as disciples of Jesus? So we know that's what he means in the context. Now, I know there's more than that, but we're going to have to put a pause on that and look at it in two weeks. So I hope you're getting the rhythm of it. Now, this is only part one. Jesus prayed first, your, 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 speaking of God. And then he says three things, our, our, our. We're going to look at that next week, so don't miss it. Prayer is about asking for things. And I'm going to make a, um, a prediction. You don't ask enough. And, and you and I are way too timid and way too scared as if God is going to somehow be blown away by our big prayers. I think we pray too small, too shallow, and we pray as if God doesn't really exist and he can't do anything. I think that Jesus in next week's teaching is going to say to you and I, up your prayers. Think bigger, pray bigger, be more extravagant, be hilarious. Like ask for things that are so hilarious that only God could do them. So prayer is asking, but the asking only makes sense when my heart is right. That's what I want you to get tonight. The reason Jesus begins with come to your king for his kingdom and his will is because when I come, I come skewed. (laughs) And God knows that when we come to him, that our heart is often bent a little bit. And so when I take more time thinking about how big God is, it sets me up to begin to ask for things that matter and not just things that are selfish. Nothing wrong with asking for yourself. But remember, all of this is in plural. Our God, your kingdom come in our world. Meet our needs. Care for our things. Forgive us our sins. It's community praying. It's people praying. So our prayers should not just be centered on me and my family. It should be centered on the wider network of people that we know. Well, that's all for next week. All right, so recap. Prayer is not an intelligence briefing for God. It's not to impress others. It's an invitation. So when we come, we start with God, your kingdom, your name, your will. And, and, and how can we move in this direction? I know I kind of cut it in half. Next week, don't miss it. And if you have to, please listen to the podcast. Um, a couple of thoughts for tonight. One, how can I move in this direction of focusing on God first and not me? Uh, eat and pray together. If you were here last week, what was my one point? Eat and pray together. The Lord's Prayer, or which is really the disciples' prayer, is an invitation to do life together. So in order for us to get in a place where we're focusing on God, it's better together. Now, notice what Jesus said at first. He says, go to your secret place. There is time for you to spend with God. But then he flips it. Your time with God is where you start. But we ought to include our time with God. If you want to see your prayer life flourish, get help. Get in a group of people who are also seeking God. Do you know that you can learn how to pray with more effectiveness? I've learned how to pray over the years by being schooled with people who spent time with God. And when I'm listening to their prayers, it influences me deeply. Have you ever prayed with someone? You think like, wow, I would want to pray like that. It's not about impressive words. It's not about flowing English. Don't we try to sound smarter when we pray in a a group? As if like my intelligence, oh God, sovereign king of the universe. You're like, well, that's cool. He is. 
But the impressive prayers are the prayers out of desperation, where I really am hungry for the presence of God. And I say, God, if you don't show up in this world of mine, I have no hope. I've absolutely, yeah, I got an education. Yeah, I got some cash in the bank. But I've got nothing apart from you. Those kinds of prayers will teach us. So eat and pray together. Secondly, change your routine. Workout fans, you know this. If you do the same thing every day, the effectiveness of your workout, some of you are like, workout? Like, what do you mean? Like, hand to mouth? No, no, no. Actual, like, physical exercise. If you do the same thing, you have got to mix up your routine because your body has a way of adjusting and making it ineffective. But in the same way, can I suggest our prayers can get dull if we're not careful. If you're dating or you're in a long-term relationship, if you're married for a long time, if you do the same thing over and over again, you will drive your spouse batty. Mix it up. You want to bring love back to your life? Mix it up. Be a little romantic. Spend a little cash, guys. I don't know where I'm going with this, but I, I just, I'm feeling the flow tonight. Maybe that's a word of prophecy for you. But I'm, I'm, very, I'm being very serious. Variety for the human being is necessary to flourish. We need variety. So in our prayer life, change the routine. I'm going to get uber practical. This has helped me. Maybe it'll help you. Make prayer the first thing. I'm making it a discipline. It has not always been this way. When I wake up, my wife likes to sleep in. I'm a 5.30 a.m. waker upper, alarm clock or not. Ding! I'm up at 5.30 in the morning and I'm not a barista. But when I get up, I'm, I'm mentally, I'm not saying it out loud because it will wake her up. Good morning, Lord. Good morning. Gosh, thank you for this bed. Thank you for another day. And I just roll. I'm starting, I'm trying to get myself in new rhythms. If I, if I wake up thinking about God first, it could change the trajectory. Um, uh, go on a walk. Uh, I'm not good sitting in a room. Those who know me, I go batty sitting in a room. So when I go to pray, and anyone who's been with me, uh, I go on a prayer walk, like a walk from this office and walk all around Intel. And I'll invite other friends who are with me. Let's just go and pray together and we'll walk. And sometimes that means you're praying and walking and other people are walking past you. And we just talk to God as if we're talking to each other. And uh, when I do it by myself, I just put my headphones in so people think I'm on a phone call. I'm not trying to trick people, but I don't want to look like a dork. Like, you know, uh, and be like, who's that space cadet? Sunset, a wacky church, you know. Um, but I, I want time with God. And so I need to mix it up because if I'm in a room by myself, in my head is my to-do list. And my to-do list wins out over God every day. Uh, find a prayer focus. Is there something that, that burdens you deeply? For us, it's different. If you're a mom here tonight, we highlighted it this morning. There are moms in prayer groups all over the city. During the school year, moms of school-age children get together in homes once a week and they have focused prayer times for the school, principal by name, administration, teachers by name, students, praying for a move of God on campuses. And so in the same way, it, whatever your burden is, find some people and start praying through your burden. You will find that your prayer is extended because it, it burns in your soul already. Find some people to pray. Again, hopefully that's helpful. Third thing, finally, is be patient. Um, prayer is an invitation to God's world, which means it's relational, which means it takes time. The Lord's Prayer does not take but one minute to recite. 60 seconds. 
And I think Jesus is short on purpose. It could start for you. I'm going to make a, a prediction. This is unscientific, but I've been around for a while. I would say more than half of us tonight do not even talk to God every day. And I'm saying like a little check up a prayer at a half second. That's not talking to God. That's just like, oh shoot, I should have done something. Jesus, I love you. Goodbye. Nothing wrong with that in the moment of desperation, but that's not relationship. That's one way. Hello, goodbye. I, I, more than half of us don't even talk to God every day. That is not a guilt trip. You're not being invited to feel guilty about anything. You're just being invited in this season of our life as a church to greater things. God has greater for you. And it begins by you pressing into him three minutes a day, five minutes a day. When you're five minutes with God, you're going to find that you look at your watch. Oh, that was actually 10. And then 30. And then you're going to long for more. More time isn't necessarily necessary. But you ever been with the person you love? And then hours later, you realize, where did the evening go? That's what Jesus is saying. You're invited to the Father, the Abba. And sometimes five minutes just isn't enough. For some of you getting started, you're invited. Two, three minutes. Come on Wednesday and and worship. It's going to be mostly singing and reading scripture with your community. And, And maybe you slip in for 15 minutes and you're like, okay, I'm done. That's all right. But push yourself towards God's presence and you're going to find great things. All right, tonight, here's what we want to do. We don't want to talk about prayer, but we want to engage. Here's the rest of tonight. We do have some singing, but I want you to press in. Let's begin with our Father in heaven. That's the invitation. Hallowed be your name. May your name be top. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. I'm going to give you some space now. Brandon's going to come. The band's going to come. But we're not done. Begin with that. Maybe this is your two to three minutes of practicing the presence of God. I'm going to invite you not to ask God for anything, but to simply say to God, bam, What you are doing in the world is amazing. Remind God of his greatness. Why? Because he needs like a pep talk? No. But because when my mind gets around all that God has done, it changes me. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Think about and pray out some things. It could be as simple as, God, I can't believe that you got me this far. God, I thank you for my friends. Like You brought a world of people that love Jesus to surround me. You did that, Lord. Lord, uh, I'm in school and I'm studying this and I'm finding that I, I can get the concepts. God, you did that. And you're like, let's just look Godward and point out the things that God has done. And then when we go to the table a little bit later, what we're going to do is we're going to verbalize. We're going to pray those out. We're going to get in groups of three and four. And we're not going to ask for stuff. We're not going to have a mini conversation. We're going to simply, in, as a community, our Father in heaven, great is your name. We're going to say how great God is and eat and drink the reminders, the bread and the cup that tell us how great he is. He's so great that he gave his very son so that I could live. Wow. If you can't think of anything else, just think of Jesus.